Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunday service. And a special welcome to all of our guests who are here at the Expanding Light this weekend. And uh, welcome to all those viewers on the internet. Uh, we are Nayaswami's Mantra Devi and Krishna Das. So it's a joy to be with you today. This morning's reading from Rays of the One Light, Commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Sri Kriyananda. And this morning, So on, intuition is simple, the intellect is complex. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, we read a passage that Yogananda often quoted. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his, disciples re and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whoever so shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It has often been noted that a critical attitude tends to paralyze creativity. Good critics, for example, seldom produce works of creative genius, though their creations may be intellectually clever. The intellect separates, it analyzes, then puts things together again piece by piece. Intellect lacks intuition's flow, which descends smoothly like a river from the superconscious. Paramahansa Yogananda described intuition as the soul's power of knowing God. To receive the kingdom of God, Jesus was saying, one must do so with the openness and trust of a little child. Intellectuals may object to this statement saying, but there must also be discrimination. You wouldn't want a person to be so open-minded that his brains fall out. The truth is, however, that the intellect can be fooled, even when it does its best to discriminate wisely. Only intuition is capable of penetrating to the heart of a matter and knowing truth from falsehood. It has the clear understanding of a child, not the elaborately persuaded intellects of his elders that enabled the child in Hans Christian Andersen's story to cry out in surprise, why isn't the emperor wearing any clothes? Therefore, it was that Sri Krishna said in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, to you who are free from the carping spirit, I shall now reveal wisdom sublime. Grasping it with your mind and perceiving it by intuitive realization, you shall escape the evils of delusion. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
Good morning, everyone. I'll read now from Whispers from Eternity, a book of poems and prayers by Paramahansa Yogananda. No more shall my consciousness remain bottled in this little vessel of flesh, corked with ignorance. No more will I remain moving through the sea of cosmic consciousness, night and day, years, decades, and how many incarnations, so close, yet never able to contact thy sea. Through the bursting vibration of cosmic sound and the surging of thy holy name, I have removed the cork of ignorance, which so long separated me from thee, though we live together so closely. Now my body consciousness will meet thy all-surrounding, all-pervading consciousness. No longer will I walk heedlessly in thee, but never knowing and feeling thee. Thine image within me shall meet thine image everywhere. By releasing the I-ness in me, I will know that I am thou, and that thou alone art the little egos of us all. So the topic today, intuition is simple, the intellect is complex. It's very profound. We, we need to understand that how important intuition is and, and the development of it. I bowed to, to Paramahansa Yogananda, our, our beloved guru, and to Swami Kriyananda, who have given us these teachings and techniques enabling us to find God this lifetime. We just have to make the effort. And it's so subtle. These are sacred techniques and teachings, so we bow with reverence to them. Where would we, we, where would we be, really, without that guidance? You know, without, the, without their example. So intuition, Yogananda tells us, is a faculty of the soul. And it's the soul's uh, nature. It's how we know God is through intuition. The intellect is of the mind, and it has very subtle traps. Those that try to discover truth that way never truly uncover it or experience it, because it's all about experiencing. If the goal of life is self-realization, as Master called this path, that self-realization is to experience God consciousness, the very bliss of our own soul. How do we do it? How do we really get there? So we, Yogananda says, we have two organs of knowing feeling and reason, heart and head. And both of those have to be in alignment and a kind of a higher octave of feeling and reason. He said that without deep feeling and longing for God, we will never get there. But feeling, he said very, I think cleverly, he said that feeling needs to be kept in a state of reason or it becomes emotional. He said that we need reason, but it too, if it's overemphasized, 
then and out of balance that it makes everything dry. So it has to be sweetened with the love of the heart. So those two in balance, these two organs of knowing, both give us intuition if they are aligned in right, rightly with the heart. If it's too much in emotion, then it clouds reason and it doesn't give us the calm feeling that is essential that brings about intuition. If there's too much reason, again, without sweetened by the heart, then we just get caught in the many bypaths of sort of figuring it out and it's all dry and intellectual. Like the story in, the, in uh, the autobiography that Yogananda tells about this pundit that goes to the ashram and he says, sort of wanting to display his knowledge to Sri Yukteswar, no less. And he says, with ostentatious zeal, the ashram rafters resounded with his passages of the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, the commentaries of Shankara. And partway through, Sri Yukteswar just interrupts and says, I am waiting to hear you. <laughs> he said, what uniqueness can you offer from your own experience? What commentary can you add to from your life's realization? And he went on in this vein, sort of this chastisement for a while. And finally the, the pundit says, I give up. I have no inner realization. So he was too much into his mind. So what, what of the intellect? And Swami Kriyananda talks about the intellect being a friend or a foe. He says it's a friend when we use it properly and ask the right questions. Because self-realization, what is that? It's realizing the truth. Truth, realizing the wisdom of our own soul and experiencing again the bliss of our own soul. This is the purpose of life. This is why we're here. This is why all of this has been created. This is why we, we have incarnated. And the steps to it are very, as we know, long and arduous, but the teachings are here to show us how. So the intellect is the trap. If we use it correctly, ask the right questions. He says, but really, it can't give you the answers. It won't give you true knowledge. It won't give you the experience that we're seeking, that our soul craves. <coughs> he says that what it will do is never make you feel absolutely sure. You're never really sure through anything arrived at the intellect. And that because its, it's nature is to analyze and consider all these possibilities. So when you come to a, po a possibility that you land on and think, this is it, still niggling thought in the back of your mind, well, maybe it's that other one. Or maybe it's this one or that one. So it binds our full force of soul because then we can't commit to anything arrived at through the intellect because there's that accentuated is the doubt. It's the doubt there through that comes through intellectual study and analysis and trying to figure out or realize 
truth in God through that medium. He also said that by just because we we have this thought, just because we have defined it well, we understand it. Thirdly, he said that it's just an inadequate tool for deeper meaning. We can never understand anything deeply through the intellect. So what of the Bhagavad Gita passage today? It's all about the carping spirit. So intellect in and of itself is a a faulty tool. Part of its flaw is that it creates the tendency to carp. In the translations of the Gita from Yogananda through Swami, he says that the impulse to carp at everything is a kind of illness of the mind. So if we dabble too much in the mind, the carping spirit naturally comes out. This being neg- negatively critical of everything, or fault-finding, complaining, death to the devotee. Why? Because we can't get to a blissful state if we're always carping, or if we let the carping spirit come in. So meditation, getting into the bliss of our soul, one doesn't have a tendency to carp so much. But carping does happen, doesn't it? Carping comes. I don't care who you are and how long you've been on the path. That's the dance, you know. It's, uh, things happen. Things give us good reason to carp. <laughs> so is this then what we have to overcome? Because the Gita says, to you who are free of the carping spirit, I shall now reveal wisdom divine, wisdom sublime. If it's going to be revealed to us, we need to overcome this tendency, this impulse. I had a wonderful experience of it I wanted to share with you. (laughs) Years ago, I was uh, going all the way back to the beginning. I was working in the dairy, so call it a dairy story. So it was winter. I was living in a tree hut, but the tree hut it got a little cold, so I was invited to join the men who moved into Apprentice Village. It was right down the hill here. That house isn't there anymore. And they created a garage and had bunk beds in it. It kind of reminded me of uh, sort of uh, immigrants, you know, and they're all sort of <laughs> lodging in, in, a, in one tight area. And, uh, but it was a higher octave of that, of course. <laughs> These are all devotees. So I was pleased. I was invited to, to uh, have a, a dry space. So this one evening in winter, it was re- raining particularly hard that year. It seems like every day it rained. And there were no asphalt roads. Uh, so everything became muddy, very muddy. And it was, it was kind of a cold wet, rainy, muddy evening. (laughs) So we had our dinner, and I, everybody was getting ready to bed down in this warm space, except Krishnadas. Krishnadas had to go to the dairy and do the night milking. So I I said, hey, anybody want to (laughs) come? 
So as I walked over there by myself, <laughs> you know, I, I had that sort of image, you know, hazy kind of halo over there. Because I, I saw, you know, everyone was getting in their, their sleeping bag and pulling out their book. And there was a lot of nice conversation, at, you know, in the evening. You know, we'd, we'd share this, the teachings and some abstruse philosophy, probably talking about the yugas, things that we didn't really know that much about. But it was interesting, you know. <laughs> So uh, I made my way over to the dairy, and uh, you know, I didn't drive over in one of the SUVs everybody seems to have. Now, it was walking through the mud. I didn't have a wickaway Patagonia shirt on, <laughs> and rain gear that was breathable and waterproof, <laughs> kind of closing off, they call, they call it the wind tunnels, you know. I was in a vinyl poncho. <laughs> so I'm walking over there in the blustery wind, and, I, and there's so many wind tunnels in a poncho, you know, through here and up there, and, you know, I didn't worry about predators because I looked so big, the thing was huge. So anyway, I get over to the dairy, and I can't go into this in great detail because I'll take the whole service for this, but we milked six to eight cows, then hand milked, and when they have a calf, this udder is this big, <laughs> and it's a big mud ball, because they've been out in the mud too. So you gotta wash the thing, and then you gotta milk it, and from one udder comes two and a half buckets that full, and you're doing six to eight of those, depending on how many you're, you're uh, milking. So anyway, milk these cows and you know and you have to do something with the milk and so I'm on so I, I went through that and and I'm walking back and I'm I'm starting to carp you know <laughs> I go, you know divine mother I'm like why you know it's raining the cows are wet and muddy and you know on and on and I'm going through my and it became a tirade <laughs> So I'm, and I was getting into it. You know, so I'm like walking and hard, stomping and pounding. And finally, I just went bang, landed flat on my back. It was so muddy. I was looking, but you know, my flashlight must have been such that I, I was landed right on my back, looking straight up into the, into the darkness with the rain coming down and like all these sparkly jewels just coming out of the in eternity, infinity. It was like a physical satori. I just went bam. It was so beautiful. It was so, it was so beautiful. And, I, and it just stopped me. I think Divine Mother, kind of like a child when a parent has to pick the child up and just give it a good shake, you know, and sort of stun it, you know. So, you'd think, well, what was the big deal? I could have just walked back, right? Taken a nice hot shower, got in the bunk, and, you know, called it a night. There was no shower. <laughs> so you're headed, you know, muddy, dirty, you know, wet to the bone and chilled. Someone did hook up a hose from the kitchen sink that went out to the tree that you stood in the mud. 
and there was no one to adjust the temperature because you're out there and it's in here, right? So, you know, forget that. So, you know, I just, and you might think if you haven't figured it out, it was not a pretty sight experience because the eye had started 6.15 that morning doing all of that in the morning and then all day with products and you get some breaks, you know, and then the evening we, we commiserated with the garden. They had their own woes, you know, they were bending over all day long and they had long days too. But uh, such as it was, it was a good carping experience and I had, uh, you know, I had an interesting realization, you know, that even in that, there's that bliss. If I could have just been, and you know, n nine times out of ten, I was fine and in my spine doing that job. Uh, but there were times when it got to you, and that was one of them. Uh, so you know, it was a good lesson, developing iron, an iron grip, <laughs> helping those cows, and an iron willpower to get there. Now if I, if I could only align it with divine will, that was the next step, you know? So anyway, uh, Durga Mata writes in Rajasi's, uh, um, with her time with Rajasi, that he couldn't take negativeness of any type. If, if a negative element came into the reports that he was given, he wouldn't have anything more to do with the project or the person. He was that strict. He, he would not allow it and be around it of any type. Yogananda, uh, Swami Kriyananda shares this story in, in the path about Yogananda where he was talking to the, the devotees and he was saying, don't speak about the bad things of this organization because if I wanted to, I could start listing its faults, start now and never stop. He goes, but why go there? Is why, why concentrate on the bad when there's so much good? And isn't that how it is for us? Here, in your own life, globally. I mean, there's so much good. So he, so he cautioned, you know, don't speak about the bad. It only reinforces it. Uh, an experience Swamiji had, Kriyananda, he said that he went to a Masonic lodge. He was invited for a uh, installation ceremony. So he came back and gave his report to Yogananda. He said, you know what, it, it ended in shambles. Half the members walked out. There was arguing that went on. And Yogananda says, don't speak of it any, anymore. And Swami thought, well, well why? Like, they're not going to hear. I'm just telling you. And he said, don't speak of negative things. So Rajasi, don't get into negativity because it leads to, it's the, it's the mind's tendency anyway. So then it leads to more and more carping, critical, you know, negative criticism, fault finding. You could go all over the place with that in so many areas of your life, you know, if you let it go there. So Yogananda, why concentrate on the bad, concentrate on the good, reinforce that. Don't even speak of negative things through Swami's lesson with, at the Masonic Lodge. So in sort of battling this tendency of the intellect, we have to reinforce 
the intuitive. So meditation is how we do that. We meditation, Yogananda says, if we sit long, this is how we develop it, sit long after our techniques and go into that peace, go into that presence of God. The deeper we go into that stillness, the deeper we go into that presence, the more intuition that we develop. And we can't experience anything, know anything, except through intuition. So I'm thinking, hey, that's really important. Because at first I thought, well, it's too, intuition's too subtle, you know? How do you really know something's intuitive and it's correct? There has to be that calm feeling. If it's too grasping, it's probably influenced by the ego, influenced by the intellect. So, they, they, so Yogananda gives us another counter uh, teaching. Okay, we know meditation is the foundation and that's how we will develop intuition. But at the same time, dealing with the intellect, he says, keep the mind busy, keep it creatively busy. If we don't keep it creatively busy, it's like a bad chiropractic adjustment. It just pulls us into the intellect, pulls us into all that I'm saying. So he says, when you're not physically active, keep the mind engaged. Keep it in, uh, have a creative outlet. Do creative thinking as a discipline. If not, moodiness ensues. It's inevitable. It's how it is. Negative, when the mind is passive, and when the mind is uh, negative, then, then it just tends to perpetuate moodiness. Who do we know that is very creative? <laughs> Swami Kriyananda is the most creative person I've ever met, by far. You know, the hundreds of books that he's written, the, the 400 pieces of music, we know all the statistics very well. He's never not engaged in some kind of creative thinking. Small examples. We're in a, a, a line at a grocery store, so I'm checking out. I look over, he's, he's got sort of these little books that are you know, at the, at the checkout, and he's reading, he's kind of checking them out, and he's examining them, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So, later he says, I thought it would be really, really nice if we had a series of secrets books of our teachings on various topics. Now, that may have taken seven years since, you know, to manifest them, but he had that, I, that seed thought then, and he, so he, has, he had so many, until still does, you know, so many little seed thoughts of, what, what we could do to enhance the teachings and share them with the world in one way or another. Another time, in Seattle, we're making them breakfast. So, busy kind of making breakfast. And I look over again, and he's sitting at the kitchen table, and we had this little plastic case that had all these little cards in it, you know, the Bible quotes, and uh, it's kind of something you'd read during your breakfast keep you focused on something uplifting then. So I look over again. He has them all out, sort of in row, you know, and he has them in these rows, and 
he's, re he's arranging them. <laughs> yeah, he could have just been sitting there looking out the window, you know, or just, you know, whatever. But he was creatively, he had something in mind, you know. Always. Maybe the oratorio came out of that. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but he's a, the best example I could possibly think of, of keeping the mind create And he's never, to my knowledge, known to be in a mood. He's never moody. He's never down. He's always positive, And everything is going to draw millions of people. <laughs> he's, he's never negative about anything. Never speaks negatively. Never moody. His sadhana and his creative thinking. Those, those two ways. Deepen our intuition through meditation. Sit long. And never idle. What does Jesus say? An idling mind or is the devil's workshop. Keep it engaged. Keep it creative. Those two ways, the, using those two organs, awakening, experiencing the bliss and presence in our heart, and using the mind correctly through that medium to experience wisdom, but through the heart, calm feeling.